Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderbilt, your host today. It's my great pleasure to welcome Linda McNeil. Welcome, Linda. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. And thanks very much for the, um, the invitation to present this podcast series with you. I know that we share a passion for working with schools and families to build strong relationships. And so ultimately that they will benefit not only the student outcomes, but also result in a more harmonious school environment. And I know Jackie, that's something that we both work on and with our group, our network of other practitioners and are committed to. I've had almost two decades working with parents in schools and I'm now working as a consultant in the area of parent engagement. I've recently had my courses endorsed by NESA so that I can provide teacher accredited hours. And I run courses in difficult conversations, parent engagement and communication strategies. Fantastic. And, and Linda, look, we've got to declare here, Linda and I have known each other for many years. So um, this is going to be a little bit like a coffee catch up, which we, which we do have regularly. It's just that we're recording, we're recording this one. Um, Linda, the first... Uh, we're going to have a series um, speaking with you, which is going to be fantastic. Really looking forward to it. The first one is about a communications blueprint. So I'm literally going to hand the baton over to you and let you go for it. And then I'll uh, wave, when, wave when we want to ask a question or, or seek a point of clarification. So over to you. Communications blueprint. Terrific. Okay. Well, Jackie, I've used the analogy of the little piggies fairy tale to set up this podcast and give us a little bit of a structure around, uh, I suppose, parent engagement. And so the series of uh, podcasts that we're doing, this first one is the communications blueprint. Then the second one will be the masonry of relationships. And then the third one will be blow your house down. (laughs) So in the first one, we're going to talk about the planning stage and how to design a communications blueprint that sets your school up for success down the track. And that's why we're using the little piggies as our guide. So thinking about them, I wonder if they consulted or how they consulted before deciding to build their houses from straw, sticks, or bricks. Think about it, did they draw on all the expertise around them? Or do you think they rushed in with their own limited vision of what the final house would look like? So when you talk about consulting, you're meaning, you know, also with the parents as well. So this is the school we're talking about and actually reaching out to their parent body as well as well as other experts or stakeholders that are around the school. Exactly. So, Jackie, regardless of what stage your school's in right now, because the, the school principals or teachers that are listening to this podcast will be at all stages of development of their schools. Some will be new schools setting it up. Some will be schools with entrenched practices already. But regardless of that, now is always the best time to start thinking about your vision and communication of it. So um, let's go back to the little piggies and think about how they made their decision to build their houses and the picture that they had, whether it was right or wrong. So that is about consulting. Of course, and we know that. And think about it with the vision that you have at your school. 
take a moment to, um, to get it in your mind, in your mind's eye. You can either see the school shield or the school motto or the vision and think about where that's placed. Is it placed on your website? Is it in your newsletter? Is it in all the promotional media that you put out? And is it something that you inherited? You just, that vision was already there when you came to the school or did it, was it dreamed up after an especially good conference? You know how we get really stimulated after a conference or did you design it at a staff meeting? So whatever the process, it's time now to consider how to expand that consultation to make sure that parents are included in it. And um, thinking about that, were they involved at the planning stage through some sort of communication process, consultation process? And there are a few different models that you can use there. There's community consultation, and there's a coaching consultation style of asking questions of the community and helping them to either build the strategy or at least engage them along the way. That's, that's really, I mean, that sounds ideal, but I know um, having been on both sides of the fence of having, having worked as an educator and, 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 and helping manage, working managing schools and also as a parent, I know there's an enormous amount of fear around, you know, opening up to a consultation process. So what, I mean, look, it's going, the fear's going to be there, right? But I suppose what we're going trying to do is look at what are the benefits of actually engaging in this process of consultation because sometimes I've seen consultation, you have too, I know, where it's very structured and you kind of structure it so you get the answers that you want at the end. How do we work together to an outcome that is going to be beneficial for everybody, but be open. What advice can you give to be open to whatever the outcome is of that consultation, not to be so fearful? Is there something that you can, is that, is that, is it possible, I suppose? Well, I want to stick with your point there, uh, Jackie, about fear, because whilst there's fear in setting up good consultation and having open, transparent discussions, I can assure you that their, their fear will be much greater later on if you haven't done that. I've worked for more than a decade in the area of parent complaints and parent issues. And I can tell you that when an issue arises and uh, when the issues got to me, they had already escalated considerably. So they were pretty pointy at this stage. When those issues arise, nine times out of 10, it's because there was a lack consultation or there was a lack of inclusivity and so when you say that there is fear around it there certainly is but then what we need to do is project a little further down the track and think about well what if what if we don't do it what if the parents aren't in line with this what if something arises and in fact it can be a lot more uh, difficult at that to manage it at that stage which is what we're going to talk about in the third podcast and so what we're doing here is we're trying to set up good relationships and set ourselves up for success by opening up the consultation at the early stages. Now, think about a school, think about a new school where they're bringing in a new style of learning, a new style of classroom, uh, where maybe they're throwing out the old way of doing things. And I know some schools right now that are engaged in doing that. And there is a risk involved there. There's a big risk. And often parents don't want to do anything that's risky 
for their children because there's so much, it's such a high stakes environment today. Think about NAPLAN and we're all thinking about NAPLAN at the moment and think about how the, um, the results are being used. Parents are saying that they're required to hand them in when they um, enroll at a new school. So if we're in a very high stakes environment. However, if we, don't, um, if we don't get it right at the consultation stage, as I said, that can break down and then it can lead to fractured relationships. And especially where, as I said, we're bringing in new ways of doing things. What it is then incumbent on, and perhaps you've experienced this in your own life, it could be in a marriage, it could be in a relationship, it could be in a work situation, where you've got a great idea, you know you're committed to it, and you know from the research and uh, background that it is brilliant, but it takes more than one attempt to persuade or convince the rest of, of your colleagues. So if it's a really good idea, if you're committed to it, and if it does require change or a shared vision or just uh, something new, be patient and take time and dig a little deeper. You know, uh, when we first hear something, we often react quite defensively and go, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. But then when it settles and we have a little time to, uh, to digest it, we come back to it and we think, okay, I can see where you're going with this now. What's the next? So I would say to educators, be patient. Don't assume they're going to buy it at the first sale because they're probably not. It's going to take a campaign of persuasion and influence to get them to where you are in your thinking. And remember that they may be able to have some good input into the things at that process. You might not have the best fit for your community. There could be other things at play in your community. Um, what if it's a, a community of uh, shift workers and you decide that we're going to have an evening program of seminars and then you realize that well actually most of your parents are either working or at home with the children and can't get out so that's where the consultation actually pays dividends and you say that work from uh say the parents side in terms of generating the the, the move or the the interest for change um, I'm, I'm just interested because a lot of a lot of what we talk about, and it kind of makes sense, is to say, well, um, here's a <clears throat> here's a blueprint for the school to run with. Um, but quite often, you know, the school might think they're actually doing a good job because they haven't heard anything to the contrary. But in actual fact, there can be a whole lot of dissatisfaction, mis miscommunication, and, uh, and and I suppose the, the you know that saying, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so if parents if parents don't know what they don't know, however, some are waking up to, gee, we really could be doing this a whole lot better. Have you seen, it, have you seen the, the idea or the germination for reviewing or renewing communications come from the parents? So what you're saying is that the parents actually instigate yeah, that sort of change? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, or... Absolutely, I've seen uh, initiatives come from parents and I've been involved in situations where uh, as I can say that sometimes that's been uh, harmonious and smooth and sometimes it's been less so. And I've had situations where I've had to mediate, say, a room of uh, 60 angry parents 
which is always fun, because the point is that parents will make themselves heard one way or another. So therefore, if, um, if you can provide those processes, and I was thinking this morning of the notion of the old suggestion box, you know, an anonymous place where you can put things uh, in there to, to improve the life of the school. So uh, yes, movements and ideas can certainly come from the parents. And if there's an openness to, um, to different ideas by the school staff, that can work. But once again, it all has to go into the melting pot so that the school is able to say to the parents, uh, I'll use the example of, um, you know, a fence around the school. Parents may be saying, no, we don't want a fence because we don't want to feel like it's a jail and we don't want to feel uh, kept out of our child's school. And then it may be that after, you know, a good information session that might require face-to-face -face newsletter inserts, as well as notes home to the kids, it may be that the school is explaining to the parents that we actually have to fence to protect the children and um, that the ways to enter the school will be open and clear and laid out. And after a few attempts, the parents come around to understand the norm and the rationale for it. Yeah. It just requires explanation more than once usually. So if we then look, so look at, um, so that's much of outlined is that whole consultation process and you've given some really good examples. I to, you know, at this time and when you're sort of working through that consultation and gathering evidence, this is a really good time to review how communication happens. So website, newsletter, you know, daily notices, you know, all that sort of thing. Exactly. And so that, that comes down to what your communication strategy is. And I've, in speaking to teachers and in speaking to parents, there are some good examples and some bad examples. And I suppose a bad example is where in a school there's an inconsistent practice. So that it might be that your child is in year three and the year three teacher, I'm gonna say, uses class dojo. And the parents get used to that and they think it's great. But then they go to year four and the teacher doesn't use that, they use um, Seesaw. Now this is a new app we have to get used to, change it around. And then in year five, we don't do any of that. We only use Twitter. So that often can create, um, it can create uh, either fear or agitation in parents because they're having to chop and change. So what we really want to have at the school is a very consistent policy that goes across the whole school, naturally set by the principal and the teachers and along with the parents too. Because again, knowing your parent population is critical. For example, would it be a good idea to have an app on the phone where let's say a, a significant percentage of the parents didn't have mobile phones? I know it doesn't exist much these days, but it might in certain places or else if there was a language barrier, is it necessary then to be able to, I heard something recently where um, parents hadn't responded to a request for uh, something in particular. And my question was, what is the demographic at the school? And there were about 22 different nationalities, most of whom actually were not English speaking. So naturally there wasn't a request, uh, um, there wasn't a response. And in that case, my recommendation was to find out who are the key players in those communities, whether it's Sudanese or Ethiopian or Ecuadorian, 
and speak to them and they will be able to connect you with the right people within that community. So there are, so as I said, the, the main thing is to have a communication strategy across the school that is set by the principal and uh, communicated to the parents. So everybody is on board with that. And what we want to include in that naturally is the website. So think about your website. Does it have a parents tab on the face of it? Number one, what message is that giving to parents if it doesn't have that? Number two, newsletters. Naturally, think about the format of your newsletters. Are they just the paper PDF and long and lengthy and cumbersome? Or are they hyperlinked uh, electronic newsletters that are going to be catchy and appeal to parents? Um, you, what about the old parent handbook? Does it have a clear explanation of the school policies, of how they can get access to the teachers? I have to say that in the, um, in the teacher world today, they, there is a tendency to feel bombarded by emails and communications from parents. And so therefore it's incumbent on the school to set up good protocols right from day one so that parents know the best way to get to the teachers. And the realistic expectations around timing, you know, will they get back to them within 15 minutes, which is what a lot of parents expect, or is it a 48 hour turnaround that's much more realistic. And um, by setting those out from the beginning, parents won't feel let down because they know what the expectations are. Yeah. Look, I think that's a really good point. You know, I, I was with the, I was working with a group of um, actually defence mentors last week. And what they were saying was that they were getting emails at, you know, 10.30 at night and there was an expectation that there be a response. And I said, and I said to them, well, what are you looking at your work emails for at 10.30 at night, you know? And yeah. when, you know, so, the, so I think that there's the, um, the, the, silliness of, <clears throat> the silliness of us feeling we're on call and then there's the silliness of expecting other people to be on call at the same time. But I think that what you're saying about having a, um, a very clear, um, well-articulated communications policy is critical because I'm acutely aware of some uh, interesting developments through technology where we've got closed Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups, Twitter groups that occur with parent, with parent groups that are unofficial groups um, where I suppose what would have been the car park politics and the car park discussion is now being taken, is now sort of evolved into this. And while they can be really useful, there's a whole world of discussion going on out there that is unregulated, possibly ill-informed, um, doesn't do a whole lot to um, foster communication between the parents and the school. So I... You know, I was having a policy will actually, you know, and, and very clear one that's lived, not just sitting on the shelf, one that's actually actively used is going to actually hopefully alleviate that happening. It won't stop it entirely, but it will make more productive communication possible. Exactly. And, I mean, that raises the question, Jackie. Schools are changing. Society is changing. Is there now more of a role for somebody to really be involved with the social media? And and that could be somebody that's monitoring the Facebook pages, that's actually putting positive information on there to, uh, to remind parents of the protocols once again. 
And they are, as I said, our schools are changing and our parent populations are changing today. And schools really need to be reactive to that because if they're not, yes, they can end up in a bit of hot water because those things like Facebook groups and uh, other apps can be, there's another one I know of called uh, Class List. They can be very, very powerful apps and communication things because remember parents expect everything in an app today if it's not on their phone and it's not happening there they're not interested so that's their expectation we have to live in the world that they live in but what we're finding now with social media for children interestingly is that the authorities and the experts are now saying monitor more uh control more Whereas before they were saying their advice was, oh, let children, you know, uh, moderate themselves really, and it'll all balance out. And I'm finding now the experts are saying, no, 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 we actually need to step in as parents. Well, just the same at school. We need to have these communication channels, but we also need to monitor them so that they're positive places because, because it will undermine the school community if we let that sort of thing persist. Mm. So what about coaching for, for getting, you know, getting positive communication happening? What would you suggest there? Well, that's an interesting one. And this is another area that we're seeing emerging in schools. So there's coaching and there are different, uh, you know, there are different models of coaching. But essentially, if the school staff and the school executive are inducted into different ways of coaching and what we refer to as a coaching way of being, um, which they may be using for their own uh, professional development or their own performance management within their staff, then I'm very interested to see how that then uh, transfers over into their conversations with parents. And there are, there are essentially three ways of doing that. First of all, the first uh, natural arena to be able to use that would be the parent association at the school. So when it comes to the goal setting or strategic planning exercise of the parent association, do we have a facilitator in there who is using coaching questions to guide that process and getting them to think about their final, uh, you know, their desired outcomes, how they're going to achieve them and what things they'll put in place to actually make that happen so that it's a very concrete strategy. That's one area that I think schools would really benefit from having that uh, approach. The second way is in um, conflict, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later on in greater depth. But when it comes to the conversation that a teacher is having with a parent around a difficult issue, is it beneficial to adopt a coaching approach where we're more curious? where we're asking greater questions, deeper questions. And I know that managing uh, parent complaints and issues over the 10 years, invariably I was surprised by what was at the core of the issue. And by asking open questions and deep questions, I was able to usually uncover what was at the actual core of this issue, which was not necessarily the issue which presented itself. So that's the second way of doing it. And then another thing that is emerging is around parents looking for coaching when it comes to their own uh, parenting. And I, I, I believe that the, uh, the jury's still out on this one, but I know that when it comes to the generational differences and these um, Gen X and Gen Y, Gen X parents in particular, 
are expressing that they, um, they're deeply committed to their parenting, but might not have all the skills that they require or that they'd like to have to achieve the best outcomes for their kids. And so can the school assist in this? Is there something that the school can do to either run parent coaching courses or set up a series of information evenings, let's say on uh, anxiety or mental health or different issues for uh, kids today, social media, cyber safety, that sort of thing. So I think the school has a definite role to play for parents in helping them with their parenting. That's, that's, I find that really fascinating because um, I think in some communities that's, <clears throat> that's working really well. Uh, but again, it's about finding the right means of, 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 of doing that. So do we do it by, uh, you know, the, 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 the people turning up, you know, parents coming to an evening session and so on. And I think there's a lot of, um, uh, I suppose, re reviewing of, that, of the old methods of doing things because that schools are finding they aren't getting the, the, the numbers of parents attending and so on. And so there's a perception there and that what's being interpreted as parents are not as engaged as they used to be. And I, I, I struggle with that because I don't believe that is the case. I think that parent engagement looks different, looks quite different. And, you know, you and I have talked about this and I sort of use the, the, uh, the imagery of, a, of the, the iceberg, you know. And so what you see above the waterline isn't necessarily what's, what's going on. There's a lot more engagement going on that you, that you don't see. Um, so finding new ways of engaging with parents yeah. Well, and you're absolutely right, Jackie. And that is, a, that is a really big shortcoming of schools when they make judgments about parents. We can't engage these parents. They're not interested. They won't come to any of the information sessions. And it really denigrates the role that parents are playing. And we don't know what the circumstances are at home. And we don't know why parents do the things they do. For example, uh, as you've mentioned, new ways of reaching parents one example could be using that Facebook page to then provide things like I've just recently, and you know, we're not promoting any products on this, uh, on this podcast, but merely throwing around some things that we've heard of or seen. And one that I've recently seen, and I can't say I can't endorse it or otherwise, because I haven't watched the, um, the clips, but there's a new thing called parent TV. And it, um, so if you perhaps put links to that on your Facebook page, and then parents could go to a little video clip on, let's say, how to manage anxiety in your child, or how to set them up for success with their social media. And so, and then if you check your own Facebook insights, you might find that parents are actually accessing that page at nine o'clock at night. And after obviously they've done the dishes, had the dinner, put the kids to bed, done the homework, they're now sitting down at the computer and they're getting down to the business of them engaging in their child's learning. So using those social media channels to either help them with their parenting or put out materials that might assist them in engaging with their child's learning. I've heard of one situation and we all say that it's so hard to engage parents in secondary, you know, that is the eternal complaint. And I've heard of, um, and often secondary teachers will say, how can I communicate with all my parents? I have hundreds of parents and hundreds of students and I can't do it. But I heard of one um, secondary teacher who was a geography teacher. And after having uh, collated the database of parents in that year cohort, 
on a daily basis or even let's say a weekly basis. He would send out a two-line email to parents. Today we studied volcanoes in geography. Why don't you ask your kids about it at dinner time? Bingo. You now have a conversation starter at the dinner table. You've got a little bit of insight into what the kids are doing at school and you're engaged in their learning as parents. That doesn't take much effort once it's set up. So there are really creative ways that we can engage parents in our child's learning and also to assist them to have more confidence around their parenting too. Fantastic. Then to the role of facilitators, what do you recommend or, or what, what are you, what's your thinking there? I'm a big believer in the importance of having a facilitator. Jackie, my, uh, my qualifications and training are in dispute resolution. And so I'm, you know, I'm a trained mediator and having done it in a, a system of schools that had uh, more than 56 schools with uh, 18,000 students, I know that schools really benefited from, from time to time, not often, but from time to time, in having a, an impartial third party come in and be able to, whether it's to be able to manage one of those community consultations that we spoke about, or to mediate a difficult conversation or a, or a conflict, or just um, set up that workshop around uh, the HSC and stress. The having people trained in those kinds of skills is uh, fantastic because they don't have, because they're seen as the middleman really. And so whilst the school may be able to see things only from their point of view, and then the parents can feel that the school is not seen from their point of view, by having somebody who can walk right down that middle road, I think really gives credibility to whatever exercise you're undertaking and instills confidence in both sides that, um, that the issue will be tackled fairly and evenly. Brilliant. Linda? One, what, your main take, maybe two point takeaway from uh, your blueprint concept. Sit down and design a good blueprint in the first place before setting out to undertake whatever activities you're going to do in that consultation. So have a clear view of what you want to achieve and the steps along the way to achieve that. Remember everybody in your school community so that nobody feels... Uh, left out, even those hard to reach parents, it might just be an individual phone call or, God forbid, a visit to that family to really make them feel included and to break down the barriers so that they do get involved in the process. So that would be takeaway number one. And then I suppose takeaway number two is be prepared to be surprised. Sometimes we find out things that either aren't aligned with what we were thinking or come at us from left field. It doesn't mean we have to take them all on, but it does mean that perhaps it widens our perspective to understand our community a little bit more. Linda, thank you so much for your time. Love chatting with you today. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. 
Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.